Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys today. All right. Welcome to church, man. What a great time to be together. We've, uh, as a church, decided to go ahead and provide Tums, uh, antacids for everybody on the tables out there to get over that game last night. All the uh, heartburn. And uh, if you watched the Ducks game last night, raise your hand. Go Ducks. Woo! That was a little scary. John White and I were watching that game together, and I think we put fingerprints in my couch, just squeezing in there, uh, leaving imprints. And some of you don't, don't know, don't care, and that's awesome. I think if I didn't care about the ducks, my life would be less stressful, but also less stressful. Yeah, I can't really think of an upside, per se. <laughs> but we love our ducks, and uh, even better than that, we love being together in church. At least um, you have to act like that when I say it as the pastor. Amen, right? We like this more. We're about this more. Uh, being together, we're, we're moving forward in our series and actually finishing it today. Three hots in a cot, talking about the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Now there's four books that are all prison epistles written by the, the Apostle Paul while he was in prison in Rome for the sake of the gospel. Uh, we've only actually been going through Ephesians and we'll come back maybe at some point later uh, later in the future to Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. But today we're concluding the book of Ephesians, which I've really enjoyed. felt like God's really spoken to me personally and hopefully spoken to you as well, uh, just about the incredible richness of the gospel. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, there is uh, uh, just Paul lays out so beautifully the three things the gospel does for us, that it, we're, we're provided freedom in Christ, we're provided forgiveness in Christ, and we're provided family in Christ. And then in the second half of the book, in chapters four through six, he talks about what it looks like to be part of the family of God and how to live out this new reality as a Christian. And I love this because we get the kind of the instruction manual for how we are to act, how we are to, how to be as followers of Christ in this new reality that we're in, uh, living in light of the gospel. So today, as we look at the close of Ephesians, we're actually at the very end of the book at Ephesians chapter six. And Paul says, I give you this final word. And it's about the spiritual battle that we're fighting. And it's interesting to me that Paul decides to kind of wrap everything up because he starts it talking about what Jesus has done and in invading our story and, and bringing the gospel to us and changing our lives again, setting us free, bringing us into the family of God. But then at the end of the book, he reminds us, look, don't get caught up in wrestling with flesh and blood. It's so easy to fight against other people on different sides of a political spectrum, to fight against the people that live close to you as neighbors. And my goodness, they won't turn their music down and their kids are out of control and their dog's barking at me. And, you know, and, and to begin to make the battle about the flesh and the blood uh, and just and what we can see with our natural senses, what's right in front of us. But Paul says, you need to understand that reality is a little bit weirder than you might perceive, that there is a spiritual world that is not on top of or next to the real world, but it is actually woven into the fabric of reality that the, the world itself, reality has both the visible part that we can see, taste, touch, interact with, right? But it also has this invisible part, this unseen realm. And not only does that unseen realm exist, but there's a battle that's taking place. And when we understand this, it's like having all the ingredients to a cake that we're asked to bake. You know, we're not ignoring some of the ingredients and hoping to get the final result, but we're rather able to have all of the elements there. And so we're going to be equipped today to see the unseen world. Now, it's interesting to me, when we talk about the unseen realm or the spiritual world, uh, you call it the supernatural. In our society, we have this word paranormal, right? Sort of outside what is normal, outside of what is natural. And as a society, we are fascinated with the paranormal. 
And I am one of these people who's fascinated. We have anybody here that likes coast to coast AM? You know, from 10 a.m., 10, 10 p.m. to 2, 2 a.m. on the radio. Radio, for those of you that are under 30, is this thing where there's these signals. <laughs> Never mind. It's like an, uh, anyways, radio program between uh, 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. and talk about all this kind of weird stuff. Let me give you some, some stats. Um, this was done a couple years ago. They did a survey of Americans, and uh, 55% of Americans believe that ancient advanced civilizations such as Atlantis once existed, okay? So kind of believing in ancient technology and maybe there was more to history than what we sort of are taught uh, in school. Um, the History Channel is now just completely about this. I used to watch the History Channel when I was growing up and you'd actually learn about Roman Empire, stuff like that, World War II. Now it's exclusively that guy with the kooky hair, you know, <laughs> and he's like, pyramids are, yeah, the hands, you know, the pyramids are whatever. Anyways, 55% of Americans believe ancient civilizations once existed, uh, advanced civilizations like Atlantis. Okay, places can be haunted by spirits, ghosts. 52.3% of people believe in ghosts. I'm one of them because they scare me. When I'm at night, if I think there's a ghost in the house, I am not a man of God full of faith and power for the hour. I am a scared little man, you know. Oh no, what was that? Uh, but 52% of Americans believe in hauntings. 35% believe aliens have visited Earth in the ancient past. 26% believe aliens have come to Earth in modern times. 25% uh, of people believe that, that some people have the ability to move objects with their minds. This is telekinesis. Now, little interesting story. I do believe in this uh, because my grandfather, uh, before he became a Christian, he was really into mind control, Edgar Cayce, all that weird stuff. And my grandma said that she watched him bend a spoon with his mind. Uh, and she was a Christian and she was like, ah. And then he was very uh, plagued by demonic stuff and all kinds of stuff. He ended up becoming a Christian and getting delivered out of that. But he had said, no, I was tapping into some weird, some weird stuff. So how many of you are really into this message now? Okay. 19% of people in America believe that fortune tellers and psychics can foresee the future. And 16. 2% of people believe that Bigfoot is a real creature. Yeah. I think if we pulled people in the Northwest, that number goes way higher. And 100% of lead pastors at Joy Church believe in Bigfoot. Okay. Uh, I love creepy stuff. I love supernatural stuff. I love the paranormal. Not, I'm not, I don't love it because I'm like not scared of it. I'm super scared of it, which is why I'm, I want to, you know, look into it or whatever. I don't like stuff like Ouija boards. I think you're talking to demons. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, stay away from it. It's real. It's yucky. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not making light of the occult at all. I want you to be clear about this. But I am interested in the paranormal. I'm interested in the supernatural world. I mean, right now, like literally you read the news and we're talking about aliens and UFOs. And I'm not making that up. I mean, literally it's UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena. There's all kinds of pictures, NASA. The government's releasing all these kinds of things. Do I have an explanation and answer for that today for what it is? Yes, it is Russia. That's what it is. No, I'm just teasing. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I do believe there is a spiritual world and I do believe there's a spiritual battle. And I think deception plays into some of this and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But this is all right at the forefront of our reality right now, the supernatural world. And why as a people group who have been so stewed and steeped in philosophic naturalism, just kind of believing that all reality is, is, uh, we've been taught, you know, in our cultural kind of uh, uh, melting pot, we've been taught that, 
you know, the cosmos is all there is, ever was, and ever will be. This sort of naturalistic mindset is what our social structures are built on, our educational structures are built on, and yet there's something in the heart of human beings that says, wait, I think there's more to life than meets the eye. Evie and I, we really enjoy uh, studying Bigfoot, right, Evie? Yeah, we like it. And uh, whenever we get an opportunity to ride in the car together, we always dial into a, a, a Bigfoot podcast and listen to people tell stories and it's pretty fun. And she asks me what I think. And I'm like, well, I don't know. What do you think? And, you know, we, we kind of have some theories and different things. And we actually had some members of our church that have shared some stories they've had out in the woods and uh, pretty cool stuff. Um, but why are we fascinated by this stuff? Why, why are we intrigued by it? I think because we know there's more to life than meets the eye. There's more than just bone and blood and biology. There's more than just dancing to the tune of our DNA. And there are some things, both good and bad, that are sort of outside of the realm of our five senses and explanation. Now, what I love about the Christian worldview is it's not just livable and, and, and you know, Jesus saves us and praise God, you can enjoy it without fully understanding it. I think that's awesome. But the Christian faith actually provides a cohesive intellectual framework by which we can analyze and observe the totality of human existence. How many of you just got 10 times smarter when, you, when I said totality? That word makes any sentence sound better. I believe the totality of our plays last night resulted in, right? Um, the Christian worldview has a cohesive explanation for everything that exists in the world. As human beings, when we lay our heads on the pillow at night and we think about our lives, it's not just uh, all based on the natural things. There are things that, are, that transcend even our physical existence and our physical needs and desires and that, and that we, we long for things like meaning and we, we care about things like art and music and, and beauty and wonder and all these kinds of things. And we know there's more to life and this supernatural stuff, this paranormal stuff we're talking about. We know there's more. And the scriptures let us know that, yes, that is true. There is more to life than meets the eye. And this is what Paul speaks into in Ephesians chapter 6. In verse 10, he says a final word. He's saying at the capstone for everything that's come before this in the book of Ephesians, this letter that he wrote, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Right away, if you believe in the Bible and you use the Bible as the foundation of truth in your life, there are some big things being communicated here that we need to not gloss over Number one, why do you need to be strong in the Lord? Because there's something going on that might want to make you weak or knock you down or push you back or push you away. Does that make sense? So you got to be strong because you're actually in a fight. And hold on a second. It's not just an ordinary fight. You got to stand firm against all the strategies of the conceptions in your mind. No. Against all the people that would come against you. No. Against all strategies of the devil. Now, this is interesting because as a culture, again, we like to have a reason for everything that is explicable by our five senses. And yet the Bible identifies that we have an adversary. The word Satan actually just means it's not a, it's not a proper name. It means adversary. Um, when you read through the Bible and you study the description of reality that we're given in the Bible, we find out that there is a creator God. We studied this in the series, God Has a Name, if you want to go back and get more into this. But there is a God and he is not rivaled by any other being. There isn't like God, you know, good God and then the devil is bad God and they're equal powers and they fight against each other. No, this isn't transformers. The devil doesn't have a chance against God. 
God could like snap his fingers and it's, it's over at that point, okay? So there's something else going on in this story. But what we see depicted in the Bible is a rebellion in heaven. There is a rebellion. We don't know when this took place. Was it after the world was created or before? We don't really know the timing of this. But there was a rebellion in heaven where a powerful spiritual entity, this individual that we call the devil or Satan, who no, sorry to burst your bubble, probably doesn't have horns. He probably doesn't have a fiddle and he probably doesn't have a tail. Actually, biblically, he's called Nakash, which is shining one. He's referenced as the serpent or the dragon. Uh, most likely, he's beautiful of appearance. Uh, you know, to, to give you, I might look like the devil, right? If you just see that physical beauty. <laughs> when I had my mustache, I really did. People were like, I just see you with that mustache, and I feel like you're going to tie me to a railroad tracks. And then, so I had to shave it, you know, so people could trust me again, you know, but... It doesn't mean I'm trustworthy. It just means they, they, the, the, the feeling is different, right? But uh, Satan is, is most likely, a, the devil is most likely a beautiful, or when he chooses to appear, uh, attractive, probably doesn't look evil, but he rebelled against God. And he rebelled against God and also led other powerful spiritual entities to rebel against God. So when Paul begins to describe this, when he's speaking to these ancient people in Ephesus, they already believe in the spiritual world to some degree. The Jewish people especially had a conception of this rebellion in heaven against God and that there is now a fight for the souls of mankind. That God ha has uh, allowed uh, humans the sovereignty of their realm because he's raising sons and daughters that he's raising to maturity and Satan has come in and corrupted and perverted and there's a war for the souls of mankind and there's now a struggle on planet earth between human beings made in the image of God, who God's rightfully called to rule this planet, and this entity called Satan and his forces who wants to destroy us, manipulate us, divert us, and get us separated from God, okay? So the battle between good and evil is not a battle between a good God and bad people. It's actually a battle between a good God and an evil enemy with us in the middle being wrestled over and one side is comfortable to manipulate you, lie to you, and cheat you, and God will always tell you the truth even when it hurts, but he always lovingly is drawing us towards himself, okay? This is the battle that we find ourselves in. Paul identifies this. So this is a big construct that's being established in just a couple of words here. And he says in verse 12, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is not metaphorical. Just let me share this with you. This is not a metaphor. When you read this, Paul's not like, and you know, society's ideas. Those are like evil powers or dark powers, uh, evil rulers and authorities. No, no. Paul's actually talking about real spiritual entities that are in power over either specific geographical areas or groups of people or whatever. And I don't have time. I want to geek out on this so hard, so bad. I don't have time to do that today. So if you want to come geek out with me after church, we'll geek out about it. I'll give you a bunch of geeky stuff and a bunch of geeky books to read so you can geek out with me on this. But Paul is actually describing a hierarchy of evil, an axis of evil, the, the devil and his forces. And they have a realm of authority or sovereignty on planet Earth. They exist uh, probably in conjunction with the civil and natural authorities that we see, but nations don't just have uh, presidents or prime ministers, and there aren't just governors of states and mayors of cities and principals of schools and pastors of churches. There's not just people in authority over natural things, but there are spirits that are also in authority or have taken authority in particular areas, and Paul is recognizing that reality that that exists, okay? Um, this is a, a part of reality, part of the way the world is. 
Uh, he talks about this earlier in Ephesians chapter 2. He says the devil is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who disobey God. So when we are rejecting God and his rule and the, the right of, uh, uh, and rejecting his truth, we are then falling under the oppression and the rulership of the forces of evil and living under that, that uh, realm. So verse 13, Paul says, therefore, because this reality exists, because this is how the world is, there is a spiritual world and a spiritual hierarchy uh, of evil, and you need to be aware of that. You're in a battle as a Christian. That's why when you become a Christian, uh, it's not a joke. When you get baptized, you know what that actually means when the Bible authors talk about that? It doesn't mean your sins are now washed away. That's like part of it. What actually it says is you're dead to that team. And now when you come out, you're now wearing Jesus jersey. And also what it's referencing is it's actually referencing the spirits that when God brought justice on the world in the time of Noah, when he flooded the entire world, the judgment was actually coming against the Nephilim. Okay. And he took those spirits and wiped them out and put them in prison. And so he's every time a Christian gets baptized, he's like, remember when I kicked your mm, all that time ago? We're going to do that again at the end of time. That's what he's saying when you get baptized. So it's not a joke. This is why Paul's saying, hey, if you're becoming a Christian, if you're in the family of God and you're wearing Jesus jersey, you better learn how to show up and not get run over. You better learn how to show up in the spiritual battle that's taking place and actually bring some power and authority and some, something that allows you to stand firm when the enemy who exists comes at you. So he says, therefore, because of that, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm, which means you win. You didn't get knocked down like a chump. You're standing up like a, chump, a champ. Verse 14, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Let me give you some thoughts about this passage. Number one, there's more to life than meets the eye. There's more to life than meets the eye. I love the show Stranger Things. It's really cool, not just because of the awesome 80s music, which is really cool. It gives me super nostalgia vibes. I was born in 1984, right in the heart of the 80s. I know many of you thought I was born in the 90s. Nope, born in the 80s. <laughs> Pastor Jake, you're not 27. Nope, 38, almost 39. Man of advancing age. Um, I love Stranger Things. I think it's an interesting show. Um, in the show, I think what's captivating is they, they discover there's like this other reality underneath. They call it the upside down. And the interactions they have in this place is so interesting. Um, reality, the real world is stranger than, than we think. There's more to life than meets the eye. Will Rogers said this, the problem in America isn't so much what people don't know. The problem is what people think they know that just ain't so. So many people are living life with one hand tied behind their back is that they're fighting all these battles in flesh and blood and going, well, it's the Republicans or it's the Democrats or it's my neighbor over here or my spouse. And they are actually ignoring or, or completely missing half of reality. They got one hand tied behind their back. Okay, and they think they have it all figured out and they don't. And that's the problem that Will Rogers is talking about. He's not referencing spiritual warfare, but it's the same principle here that you think you've got it locked down and you understand, but you don't. No, there's more to life than meets the eye. So we need to not get tricked into only dealing with one level of reality. 
At every moment as a Christian, we should say, what is the spiritual, what is taking place spiritually here that is probably influencing or definitely influencing what I can see? Because if what I can see is only the top of the iceberg, what might be underneath this? That just maybe when I'm having this fight with my wife or this fight with my husband or this fight with my kids or this fight with a coworker, and I want to fight flesh and blood and go, you're the problem and you meant to do it and you're bad. You have a bad motivation. That barista made my coffee wrong because they don't like me. (laughs) Is it possible that in the spiritual realm, there is a spirit that's going, they don't like you. They're the problem. Is it possible that the Bible could actually be true and there might be a hierarchy of evil that is always trying to get you to be violent and mean-spirited and selfish and greedy and lustful and wants to take you away from God and make you drink sand thinking it's water and get you locked up in sin and deception and fighting against people and missing the real enemy that's actually there? I think it's very possible. So don't get tricked into dealing with only one level of reality. The spiritual world is real. Does that mean the natural world isn't real? No. You don't want to miss this on the opposite side, right? Don't, don't miss one ditch and go into the other. Sometimes as Christians, we get really kooky. We're like, well, I prayed and I asked Jesus, was I supposed to wear the red shoes or the blue shoes? And I couldn't wear shoes today because he didn't speak. <laughs> I just know God has a hand and he goes like this sometimes. Oh, he just face palms, you know, just please, Jake, please stop being such a moron, you know. I'm like, God, I'm doing my best, you know, but we, we over-spiritualize things sometimes. We, we make everything spiritual. You know, some things aren't spiritual. You just have body odor and you should take a shower. It's not the devil. You smell like hell, but it's not hell. You can smell like heaven. Just take a shower, wear some deodorant. If you need some help with that, you know, there's one of the elders in the church happy to share with you, the staff members. Don't make, it, don't make it overly spiritual. Um, I had a person one time, I was helping them become a, a worship leader and this individual had like presented themselves as a really, really good singer. And so then they got an opportunity to sing and they, they couldn't sing. They did not have that gift. And so they got down and we were all kind of surprised. Like, oh, that was, thank you for sharing with us this fine Sunday. Appreciate that. And uh, this person said to me, yeah, the devil's just been attacking my throat. And I, and I told Bethany on the way home, I was like, I mean, if the devil's attacking that person's throat, he's not a good strategist because that throat didn't need any help from the devil to be that bad. <laughs> the devil wasn't involved, you know. I think Jesus was helping you more than you thought in that moment. So we need to be careful that we don't get overly spiritual and make everything, you know, a spiritual thing. But recognizing that the spiritual world is a part of this reality. And just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not real. Just because you don't perceive it or understand it doesn't mean it can't affect you and impact you. A couple years ago, I was driving uh, down to Medford and I got pulled over and uh, completely lawfully because I was speeding and uh, not going to act like, you know, somebody had it out for me. No, I was just breaking the law. So I was driving along and I'm I'm speeding. I get pulled over. Officer walks up, has a sweet hat, which kind of made me mad. I was like, don't look cool when you're giving me a ticket, you know. He goes, sir, is there a reason for your accelerated rate of travel? I was like, yep, just wanted to get there faster. (laughs) And uh, he's like, are you aware that the speed limit is 55 miles an hour? And I was like, no, I thought it was 65. And he's like, well, you're going 68. Yep. (laughs) And uh, he gave me a love letter, which was really nice. 
said how much he loved me and how much I needed to give the state of Oregon $300 or whatever it was. Um, here's the reality. Whether you know the speed limit or not, the law still applies to you. Uh, whether you like the fact there's a spiritual world doesn't influence the forces of darkness that are out to get you. Uh, whether you, you think it's true or not, the enemy is still after you. Um, just because you don't, aren't aware of something doesn't mean it can't affect you. And so when we are equipped with this knowledge, what it allows us to do is go, hey, there's more to life than meets the eye. Like I am actually in a spiritual battle and I'm not alone. I have the power of God. Okay, I have the armor of God I get to wear. And, I, and I'm told in the scripture, I will stand firm. I will not be beaten by this battle. I won't lose this fight, but I need to be aware of it and actually fight it and engage with it at the right level. There's more to life than meets the eye. Amen? And I need to be careful not to fall into this trap of fighting against flesh and blood and just ignoring the spiritual, the spiritual world. Now, let's talk about spiritual warfare for a second. Spiritual warfare in the church, and I grew up as a Pentecostal charismatic, so I have, if you've seen something weird, I guarantee you I've seen it. Weirder. You know, I've been to weird conferences. I've seen people unironically blow shofars, like all kinds of things. Um, that was a better joke than I got any credit for. But anyways, I'm sorry I offended the pro shofar crew. And I know I love you, but it is, it's not doing anything. It's just a horn, a bad one. Okay. I've been in all kinds of weird kooky stuff. And here's what can happen. When we talk about spiritual warfare, when we talk about the reality of the spiritual world, sometimes Christians, sometimes we overdo it. And we make things way too kooky, way too mystical when it's actually a lot more ordinary what spiritual warfare is. We got people who are like, well, I'm going to identify the archons and the metrons. And it sounds like you're speaking some other language. You know, I'm going to identify the hierarchy of power in the spiritual realm. And I name thee Mishragal, the magnificent evil overlord of Eugene. And like that the Bible doesn't tell you to do that. The apostle Paul's like, be aware there is a spiritual world. There are Demonic forces or, or evil entities, they exist. Be aware of them. They want to knock you off course. But everything he just told us in Ephesians all the way through, especially chapters 4, 5, and 6, is all ordinary stuff. Hey, if you're married, act like Jesus to your spouse. Hey, if you're in this uh, relationship with a, with a master or a servant or master-slave or a child or a parent or whatever social relationship you find yourself in, act like Jesus in that relationship. Nowhere does he tell you, identify the, the name of this demon force and then make a, a move with your hand and put your hands like this and look with your... I mean, this is, the, this is getting into like Harry Potter or a cult and it's weird and it's not what the Bible's telling you to do. So when we engage in spiritual warfare, here's the truth about this. It is usually... Almost always, 99.9% .9 of the time, not the weird stuff. It is ordinary acts of obedience. Yeah. Let me tell you what spiritual warfare looks like. Spiritual warfare takes place when you make a choice to pray about something rather than stress about something. You engage in spiritual warfare when you choose to do the right thing rather than the wrong one. You engage in spiritual warfare when you show up at church every Sunday. Listen, if the devil wants us to hate each other because of the color of our skin what's in our bank accounts, how we voted, and all this kind of stuff. And, and Jesus wants us to be united and love each other like brothers and sisters, even when we don't agree on everything. Then guess what we're doing when we show up at church on Sunday and go, I choose to live with these people, love these people, serve these people, even when I get offended at these people because I'm part of the family of God. You are casting off and, and, and sending a powerful act of spiritual warfare out to the other side, the, the darkness, right? saying we're not going to live under your rule anymore. 
We're not going to be manipulated and tricked into lies so clever they sound like the truth. And we're not going to fight against flesh and blood. We know you exist. And so we choose to love each other as an act of subversive good in rebellion to the forces of darkness that have tried to take over this planet. No, we're not going to live like hell. We're going to live like heaven, even under enemy-occupied rule. And when you do that, you expand and extend the, the sovereign borders of the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus shows up in a place, your politics become less important than do you know Jesus and are you going to spend eternity with him than rather than what you voted for in the last election. When, you, when Jesus shows up in a, in a conversation, what, it's more important than the color of your skin. It's more important than your socioeconomic status. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? The kingdom of heaven is established when we do the right thing, go to church, when we do these ordinary acts of obedience when we choose to serve rather than serve ourselves, when we choose to practice hospitality with our neighbors and begin to love them and lay our lives down for them rather than be angry at them or curse them or whatever we're doing. We engage in spiritual warfare when we decide to be kind in the face of unkindness, when we decide to be patient instead of impatient, when we decide to act like Jesus rather than act like Team Darkness. These are powerful acts of spiritual warfare. I don't know if I can even say this enough, but like showing up on church, in church, and being the church, being a part of church, not just watching church, but being a part of church as the body of Christ is so powerful as an act of spiritual warfare. Praying when you wake up on a Tuesday morning rather than getting all obsessed with the news and whatever, and like just deciding to like get your Bible open and study the word of God and say, hey, change me, Jesus before you, you worry about my spouse or my kids or the person across the street. Like, just work in my heart. Man, you're doing some, some great spiritual warfare. Okay, number two. Paul tells us to put on the armor of God. Because we're in this battle, we need to be equipped appropriately to fight this spiritual battle and to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven who are under assault, under attack in a world of darkness. Now, here's the deal. When we talk about putting on the armor of God, I grew up in church and we'd have these elaborate shows in church like, you know, put on the armor of God and they'd get like the belt of truth and it was always like an old dude with the Roman centurion outfit and like the breastplate of righteousness. And so I, I've heard things like, you know, every morning wake up and say, Lord, I put on the helmet of salvation and I'm just going to like, let's not do that anymore. Let me give you the right way to apply this scripture, okay? This is not, a, this is not like about a physical body part or whatever. It's about the words and how they operate in your life, okay? And are they present in your life, in your real life, in your regular, everyday, ordinary, spiritual and real life, okay? So when Paul says, put on the belt of truth, it isn't about a belt, it's about this word truth. He's giving a picture like these people would be familiar with of a soldier putting on their armor, okay? So we are to see this picture, but it's not that truth is connected to your belt or holding your pants up or something, it's this. Are you a person of truth? Do you love the truth? Do you believe in the truth? Do you uphold the truth? Do you defend the truth? Or do you allow people to lie? You know, what if somebody comes and tells you, like in our world, we have fake news, right? And I love all the fake news that supports my political side. How, you know what I mean? Like some of you, if, if it was like, if it's about Joe Biden and it's, it could be totally fake, but if you don't like him, you're happy to like revel in that lie. And there might be a little part of you, which just newsflash could be the Holy Spirit saying, you shouldn't love lies because lies come from the father of lies, the devil. And even if this individual who you don't agree with or don't like or whatever, if this lies about them and it hurts them, actually, it ultimately hurts all of us. It's like shooting holes in the boat you're all riding in yeah. when we love lies. 
Some of you, when you hear a lie about Democrats or Biden or somebody, you love it, you revel it. No, no, no. You need to say, no, no, no. If that's not true, I'm not going to revel in it. I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm, I'm going to work for truth even for my enemies. And some of you, if you hear a lie about Trump, oh my goodness, man, it's true. He crucifies children. He, he started the Ukraine-Russia war on purpose. Like he, he's evil. You know, and you, if, you, if you're on that side, you hear these lies. Listen, if you love lies, you love the devil because that's the father of lies. And, and that, those lies are not from God. And, and as Christians, we need to uphold truth even when we don't like the politics of the person those lies are about. <laughs> let's, let's take it out of the political realm. Maybe it's about an ex, ex-husband or wife or an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, and you hear something about them, somebody comes and gives you a juicy tidbit. <laughs> and you're like, I knew it. I knew it. Is it true? Are you a person of truth? Do you speak the truth? Because truth is what needs to be present in the life of us as Christians. Truth protects you from the enemy. Righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness or the body armor of righteousness. Righteousness is right relationship with God and other people. Are you living in righteousness that guards you, protects you? It's not like you can say, oh, I put on the breastplate of righteousness and then go live like hell. You're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness. If you are saying, God, I'm a sinner and I need a savior and I live by faith and I live by in your grace and I make mistakes, but I want to walk with you. I want to walk rightly with other people. And I'm not just looking to mess people over in finances and mess people over in relationships. And, you know, th- when, when you live in righteousness, you're, you have this armor on. Yeah. The peace of the gospel, the readiness Paul talks about. Okay, first, do we stand? Are our feet prepared? Do we stand in the peace that Jesus has won this fight? Right? The, the gospel is true in that I am secure in my salvation. I have peace in the gospel, but also I, I'm ready to take that message and carry it to the world. I'm on mission. I'm not just living for me. Okay, faith, the shield of faith. This is confidence and belief in God that lies can't penetrate. I like to say that faith is an unshakable confidence in the character of God. Faith is an unshakable confidence in the character of God. When my circumstances do not agree with my perception of God, I need to understand. He never moved or changed or faded. He never, he never loves, me, loves me less. He never stops being faithful. He never stops providing for me, even when things aren't going the way that I want them to go. I have an unshakable faith in the confidence in the character of God, because I know who he is and I know what he's about. And he's not going to fail me, even if on this side of eternity, I don't get what I wanted or things don't work out the way I wanted them to. My eternity is secure in him and God's character is sound and he's trustworthy. That's the kind of faith that we need to have. This isn't blind faith. It's saying, I know who he is and I trust him. Salvation. Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. Does our new identity in Christ as people that have been saved out of sin, brought into the family of God, does this new identity in Christ shape how we think and behave? Romans chapter 12, Paul says this in Romans 12, God changes us or transforms us by renewing our minds or by changing the way that we think. If we can give our thoughts to Christ, we can give our thoughts to begin to think through the new identity and filter of who we are in Christ, it's going to change everything. That's the helmet of salvation. And then lastly, God's word, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Our offensive weapon is God's word. Now, Christians, it doesn't mean grabbing a Bible and waving it at demons. That is not how the sword of the Spirit works. It actually stops being a sword when it's closed. It's only a sword when it's open and taken in. So if you want the sword of the Spirit in operation in your life, you can't grab a Bible and be like, well, a demon was coming at me and I held up my Bible and I, 
and I said Christian words, that's not spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is opening that Bible up and reading it and going, oh boy, I need to be more like Jesus. You know, <laughs> like God, get your word inside of me. And then it becomes the sword of the spirit. Can I get an amen? amen? This is how the armor of God works. Okay. And then lastly, as we finish today, Paul gives us this, this last verse, verse 18, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. You guys, we need a, we need a prayer life. We need a, a life of prayer where we embrace the reality that God moves through our prayers, a daily habit and a discipline of prayers. Now, here's the deal. I struggle to pray because oftentimes I forget a couple of important things. Let me tell you what I can forget and what we should remember why, and what gets me to go back and actually have a prayer life. Okay, number one. My prayers make a difference in the spiritual battle taking place between good and evil. If you don't think that when you pray anything changes or happens, then it becomes something that you only do every once in a while. But if you believe that when you pray, you're making a difference in the battle that's taking place, it becomes a lot more uh, engaging, right? So I have to remember that. Okay, God, when I pray about my city, there's spiritual warfare taking place. If you don't believe this is true, go back and read the book of Daniel. Daniel's praying. All of a sudden, the, the archangel appears to him and says, Daniel, I heard, God heard your prayers. I was sent, but I was withstood for 21 days by the prince of the power of Persia. Oh my gosh, that's a powerful entity if it can stop an archangel for 21 days. How many angels were sent to answer a prayer or fight a battle for you when you prayed for two minutes? You better pray to God the demons assigned over your life are really weak. Because if you pray for two minutes and you pray weekly and you pray like that, you didn't give enough time for the spiritual battle to actually finish. I don't know. I just, I just, it's in the Bible right there. I know I kind of hurt some people's head right there. It hurts my head. But it's right there in the book of Daniel. Daniel's praying. The angel comes and says, God heard your prayers, but I was withstood for 21 days. There is a spiritual battle. So if I believe my prayers are influencing that spiritual battle, if I believe that God is, is moving on my behalf or moving in my community or moving in my family, then I'm going to continue to pray until the battle is won. Second, we have to believe this, that God works through my prayers to accomplish his kingdom purposes in my proximity. The most important part of this is in my proximity. Here's the thing. God is not trying to, to create spiritual slugs. Okay, now that you're a Christian, we just take you and just throw you down on the ground there. Slug one, slug two. Great sound effects. There's no movie magic happening. I was making those sound effects with my mouth. God is raising up sons and daughters who are actively engaging in the spiritual battle alongside of him. So God wants to bring heaven to earth through us as ambassadors and emissaries of the kingdom of heaven. So that as we pray and we say, God, would you heal this person that they're healed in response to that prayer? So we understand I am a conduit of God's power from heaven to earth, but God moves through our prayers. He doesn't answer prayers you don't pray. It's like saying, I, I, well, I called you. Did you ever dial the numbers on the phone? No. But I thought about calling you. No, it doesn't work that way. You got to dial the number and call. When you ask God, God, would you heal this person? He wants to heal people through you. Can I get an amen? amen. But you got to pray for healing. Yeah. If God wants to deliver people around you, we have an epidemic of people who have lost their minds. You can't drive through our streets and not realize we're, we have a bunch of de demonically oppressed people all around us. Well, pastor, it's not that. It's mental illness. I don't care what you call it. We need people to get delivered in Eugene and Springfield and Oregon and around the world. So whatever you want to call it, we need people to stop being out of their mind 
And we need people to come back to their senses and come to Jesus and have be restored to their sonship or their daughterhood. Come on, somebody. God wants to work in your life, but you got to pray the prayer. How are you going to see demons cast out like Jesus said we would see if you don't actually extend that prayer towards that demon-possessed person? How are we going to... Man, I'm fired up about this. How are we going to see miracles of provision if you don't ask for them? Do you realize you're sitting physically in an answer to prayer today inside of this building. Yeah. Our church was four years old. We went to some, we, we went to look at a building one time and a, and a real estate agent just basically treated us like garbage because he's like, well, how long have you guys been at church? Three years, you know. He was like, you can't afford it. Like, just get out, be gone, right? I mean, just treated like we were just garbage. And I, I always want to call him and say, what about now? Pastor Mark and Bethany and I and the elders were sitting looking at our finances four years ago and we were blessed as a church then. We're blessed as a church now financially, praise God. But man, we were not that blessed. This building was like $3 million or whatever. We could not afford it. We can't afford it in the natural. We said, God, is this what you have for us? Yes. We literally had to walk in faith and the money had to come in as we went. We were sweating it. I, 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 I think I have gray hairs from this project, needing to trust God and believe that he would provide for us, but we prayed and God said, do it. And so we did it and he did it. But if you don't pray and you don't ask and you don't step out in faith, if you don't ask, you don't receive. If you don't seek, you don't find. If you don't knock, the door's not opened. And so we have to believe in prayer that God works through my prayers to accomplish his kingdom purposes in my proximity. Man, people in Montana, they got to pray Montana prayers but we don't live there. We live in Eugene, Oregon. So we need to pray prayers for now that Christ's kingdom would come here in and through us and among us, around us, in our proximity. I want everybody to get healed, but I can't pray for everybody who I can pray for the sick people that I encounter. I want to see God's kingdom come in my proximity. Paul says, pray in the spirit, stay alert, be persistent in prayer, pray for fellow believers. We need a life of prayer. Amen. All right. I've gone too long, but we're going to end now. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Thank you, Lord, for your word today. I pray, God, that we'd be stirred, we'd be activated. I pray that as we hear your word today, we'd be equipped to, to put on the armor of God, to recognize that we're in a spiritual fight and that we're not going to lose, we're going to win. We're going to see your kingdom come and your will be done in Eugene and Springfield, Oregon, in Lane County and around the world in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that we would not ignore the spiritual reality around us, but we would engage with it, not in a mystical way, not in a cuckoo way, but Lord, in a way that is in alignment with your word and with truth, and we'd operate in extraordinarily ordinary obedience and, and com- continue to do acts of subversive good, fighting against the forces of this world that want to stop your kingdom coming and your will being done. I pray for your people, God, that you'd equip us in this spiritual battle, that we go forth and have victory in you, that we'd pray with passion, pray with power, pray with persistence, pray for each other, pray for the circumstances and situations around us, that you'd use us as conduits of your kingdom power in Jesus' name. If you just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I'm actually not a Christian. I, I'm not part of God's kingdom. I'm not part of his family. I, I need Jesus. I need, to, I need to join God. I need to give my life to him. Listen, the gospel is a pretty simple message. All of us are sinners. We all needed a savior. God provided our savior, Jesus Christ. He died on a cross for you, for me. He paid for our sins. And if we will trust in him as our Lord and savior, we'll believe in him and give him our life. He gives us himself. He gives us eternal life. We become children of God and he gives us the grace to follow him as a disciple. Salvation is not the end of the journey, it's the beginning. And if you're here today and you say, I want to start that journey, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to give him my faith, my allegiance. Would you just raise your hand today so I can see? 
Thank you so much. Come on, anybody else? Yes, awesome, awesome. Thank you, awesome. I want to put my faith in Christ. Thank you. Awesome. We're going to pray this prayer together. We'll all pray it together. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. I give you my life, all the good and the bad, and I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. I choose to follow you today. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.